0: Father, uh, we remind ourselves uh, through the songs that we have sung that all that we are doing here this morning is not for ourselves. It is for your glory. It is for the exaltation of the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that in our lives his name will be exalted, not our names, um, that he will have his way, Lord, not, not us having our way. And Father, we pray that you would make this our desire more and more that we want your will to be done here on earth and in our lives as it is done in heaven. Uh, because you alone are worthy. Lord, we are, we are not worthy, which is why we needed a Savior to come and to rescue us, to save us from our sin and to save us from God's wrath and to bring us into the, the freedom and the joy of, of living for, for you, not for ourselves. And Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we, we will read a passage that calls us further into that, to live not for ourselves, but for you and for the service of others. Lord, help us uh, to, to be willing to submit ourselves to what we, what we hear from your word this morning. Uh, may that be all that, that I speak, is, is words that are true to your word, Lord. Um, please bless our time together. Carry us through this time. Give us ears to hear and hearts that are eager to listen and willing to obey what your word says. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing to work our way through some of the questions that you guys had submitted to us. This was a way for us to find out what's on your heart and to make sure that you're being ministered to by the word of God in those areas of your lives where you need to be ministered to. Uh, We've done this for a couple weeks now and this week we're starting to work through a couple other questions that are related to family roles and to parenting. And today we are first going to look at family roles. What role does each Member of the family play? What is God's design for the family and for each member of the family? That is what we're going to address this week and then next week we will continue to address this but it will start to lead into parenting, what the Bible tells us about how to be godly parents. Today, um, addressing family roles, we're going to come at this through the text of Ephesians 5 and 6, where Paul addresses this very thing. And we're going to look specifically at verses 25 to 33 of chapter 5 this morning. Ephesians 5, 22 to 23, where Paul specifically looks at the roles of a husband and a wife and how they bring glory to God and minister to one another in those roles. So let me just read that passage for us first. Starting in verse 22, we'll get into chapter 6 next week. But Paul begins, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Before we start working our way through this passage, let me first orient you to the context in which this passage is found by walking us first through verses 18 to 21, which was part of our call to worship We really need to understand verses 18 to 21 before we can understand verses 22 to 33. In verses 18 to 21, Paul, he starts out in verse 18 by commanding the believers in Ephesus to not get drunk with wine, but instead to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with wine, you are mindlessly giving up the control of your body to an alcoholic substance. On the other hand, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are mindfully yielding control of yourself to him, to that Holy Spirit, by obeying what he commands in his word. Just as being filled with wine will lead to certain kinds of behavior, so being filled with the Spirit will lead to certain kinds of behavior. And Paul lists for us in verses 19 to 21 what the fruits of being filled with the Spirit are. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In verses 19 to 21, you see a string of participles. What's a participle? It's one of those I-N-G words. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will be doing these things that he lists for us in verses 19 to 21. If you're filled with the Spirit, your life will be characterized by these things. And in verse 21, your translation may or may not reflect this, but we have another I-N-G word in verse 21, and that is being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is another way, another fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And in verses 22, all the way through chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul shows us what being subject to one another in the fear of Christ looks like in our relationships to one another. And it's going to look a little bit different depending on what your place in that relationship is. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are going to conduct yourself in certain ways towards certain people. And your conduct will not be based upon the worthiness of the person you're in relationship with, whether it's your wife or your husband or your parents or your children. Instead, your conduct will be based upon your reverence of Christ. Is that not what he says in verse 21? Be subject to one another in the fear of not your wife, not your husband, not your parents, not your children, the fear of Christ. That is why if we're filled with the Spirit, we will behave in these ways that Paul will flesh out for us. Paul begins by addressing wives first and their relationship with their husbands. Verse 22, Paul says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Paul exhorts wives to be subject to their own husbands. What does that mean? Well, for a wife to subject herself means to bring herself under the authority of her husband. It is to bring herself under the authority of her husband. And notice Paul is telling the wives to do this to themselves. It is not the husband's job to subject his wife. It is not the husband's job to force her to come under his authority. Instead, it's up to the wife to subject herself. And so husbands, if you are trying to force your wife to come under your authority, you need to stop it right now because that's not your responsibility. Your wife is not your slave. She's not your child. She is your fellow co-heir in the grace of life. Sorry, Uncle Dan. (laughs) She is created in the image of God, just like you. She is equal in dignity to you. You cannot force her to this. She is your helpmate. Just to remind us of that, let's go back to Genesis 2. At the beginning of creation, God created man and woman, and he gave them different roles. They were both created in the image of God, but he gave them different roles to perform. Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper, suitable to. For him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man, this is Adam, gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. She is your helpmate. She's not your slave or your child. She's your helpmate. So it's up to her and the Holy Spirit at work in her to subject herself. That's not up to the husbands. Wives, I want you to notice the end of verse 22, back in Ephesians 5. Paul says, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. To help us understand what is meant by that, let's go down to chapter 6 and verse 5 because There, Paul uses that same phrase, as to the Lord. And there, he's addressing slaves and their masters. But notice what he says in verse 5 to them of chapter 6. He says, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart, as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. There we see when Paul is addressing slaves, he's telling them to obey their masters, not for their master's sake, but for the Lord's sake. And he's telling them to obey, not so much out of obedience to their master, but out of obedience to Christ. That is the basis for which they are to act in that way to their masters. And it is the same with the wife's submission to her husband. Wives, you do not submit to your husband for your husband's sake, but for the Lord's sake. Your subjection to your husband is ultimately your subjection to Jesus Christ. And your husband may not be worthy of your submission. In fact, I'm telling you right now, he's not. He's not worthy for you to be subject to him. But you're not submitting to him because he's worthy. You're submitting to him because Jesus made him your husband and Jesus is worthy. Peter backs up what Paul says in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. In this passage, we see that the woman's subjection is not based on the behavior of her husband. It's based on what God is worthy of and what God is calling her to. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Peter writes in the same way, and what is this way that he's talking about? The end of chapter 2, Peter has just gotten finished showing us how Christ suffered for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of doing what his father wanted him to do. And he's taking that example and he's saying, wives, follow your Lord's example. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior." Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him lord and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear so wives are not called by god to only submit to husbands who are perfect christian men by the way there are no none of those in existence there are no perfect christian men but they're also to subject themselves to husbands who are living in disobedience to god and who may even be unbelievers Now back in Ephesians 5, why is the wife required by God to do this? It's not because she's lesser in dignity or lesser in intelligence or lesser in wisdom or value. It's got nothing to do with that. Paul explains why in verses 23 to 24. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. We're gonna see later in this passage that a Christian marriage is intended by God to be patterned after Christ's relationship with his church. In a Christian marriage, the husband is to show the world who Christ is by how he loves his wife. And the wife is to show the world what the church is by how she respects and submits to her husband. Now, how far is this submission to go? Well, at the end of verse 24, Paul says the wives ought to submit or be submissive to their husbands in everything, in everything. Now, we have to take into account what the rest of the scriptures say here to help us understand what Paul means by everything. He obviously doesn't mean you submit to your husband when he asks you to sin. You must not obey your husband if he's asking you to do that. We find a good example in the book of Acts, chapter 4, where Peter and John are being told by the religious leaders to not preach the gospel anymore. And Peter and John say, you judge for yourselves whether or not it's right for me to obey God rather than men. Wives, you must always obey God if your husband is going contrary to God. Also, uh, another situation in which you are not required to submit to your husband is if your husband tries to exceed the authority that God has given him as a husband. If he tries to get you to do something that God has not authorized him to try and get you to do. For example, if you're riding in the car with your husband and you are the one driving and the speed limit says 55 and you're driving 55 but if your husband's in a rush and he says honey step on it get up to 70 you don't have to obey him because he's not the governor of new york he doesn't get to adjust the laws to fit his preference and force you to go along with him on that that is exceeding his authority. We see that in Romans 13. That kind of authority is not given to the husband, it's given to the state. Another obvious example is if your husband begins to abuse you, you should not submit to that kind of treatment. You can call the police because God has not given him the authority to do that to you. But when it comes to the sphere of your family, such as your finances, or the raising of your children, or where you're going to live, God wants the wives to be subject to their husbands. Now that doesn't mean that you have to agree with all of your husband's decisions. It does not mean that you cannot humbly and respectfully voice objections and suggest alternatives In fact, your husband ought to welcome that because that's part of what it means to be your helpmate. God can use your wife to pull you back from jumping over the cliff of your own stupidity, so you should listen to your wife. But this submitting to your husband in all things does mean leaving the final decision up to him and trusting God enough to follow your husband's lead even when you think his decision may be a foolish one. Now, that is, that is what Paul is calling wives to do. Now, I want to challenge the husbands on this. Husbands, you and I need to understand just how difficult a thing this is that God has commanded our wives to do. Think about who God has commanded your wife to submit to. You. You. You of all people. Do you know how much humility and faith that takes for your wife to subject herself to you? Your wife has to deny herself enough and trust God with her life enough to put her life into your hands. You who are so weak and who are so often fickle and foolish and selfish and proud. She has to put her life into your hands. We need to, every once in a while, put ourselves in our wives' shoes. You know what it's like to work for a lousy boss, don't you? How hard that is, how frustrating that is, how discouraging that is. But at least you get to go home in the evening and not be around that lousy boss 24-7. And if it gets bad enough, you can always quit your job and go to work for a better boss. But your wife has made a lifelong covenant with you. If you are a lousy husband, she cannot simply get away from you or quit you to find somebody better. Faithfulness to God requires that she stick it out with you and keep subjecting herself to you. Husbands, when your wife submits to you, you should stand in awe of that. And you should thank God that he gave her such humility and faith to leap out into the dark and do that for you. And as husbands, you and I should strive every day to be the kind of husband that it would be a joy for a wife to subject herself to, rather than a drudgery. We need to put ourselves in our wives' shoes. Next, Paul turns to the husbands, And he's going to tell the husbands in verses 25 to 32 what it looks like for them to be subject to their wives. Because again, he's fleshing out verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. What does it look like for the husband to subject himself to his wife? Well, we're going to see it doesn't mean giving up his leadership in the home. No, it manifests itself in the husband's relationship to his wife in a different way. Well, what way is that? Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. When it comes to your relationship with your wife, how are you to obey, verse 21? How are you to subject yourself to her? Well, you are to, sub- to subject yourself to her by loving her. Loving her. The verb that Paul uses for love here is agapao, It's agape love. What kind of love is that? It's a love that is concerned with the good of the other rather than the good of self. That is the kind of love with which a husband is to love his wife. Now, what does it look like for us to love our wives with that kind of love, with a love that is concerned about her good? Well, Paul explains in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. The love that we as husbands are to show to our wives is a self-sacrificing love. We are to imitate Jesus Christ in how we love our wives. We are to daily deny ourselves and lay ourselves down in order to accomplish what is in the best interest of our wives. And what is our wives' best interest? What is best for her? Well, to answer that question, we need to look at why Jesus laid down his life for us. Verse 25, we're to love our wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to do what? Verse 26, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that, verse 27, he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What are we as husbands to lay ourselves down in order to accomplish? What are we trying to accomplish when we die to ourselves in order to pursue what is good for our wives? Well, it's her sanctification. It's her personal holiness. That is why we are to deny ourselves. That is the goal that our self-sacrifice is to have in view. So when Paul calls husbands to love their wives, he's not calling the husband to lay down his idols so that his wife may have her idols. This isn't a call for husbands to cater to their wives' selfishness. No, this is a call for husbands to pursue their wives' holiness. And this kind of pursuit of your wife's holiness, it takes selflessness and it takes courage. It takes selflessness because you are going to have to deny yourself certain luxuries in order to provide opportunities for your wife to cultivate her walk with Christ. For example, You've come home from work and your wife has been busy all day with the kids and she has not had time to spend a quiet hour reading her bible or praying to the lord. Instead of sitting down on the couch and turning on the TV, you should say, "Honey, I'll take the kids for an hour." Doesn't matter how how tired you are from having worked, you'll say, "Honey, I'll take the kids for an hour so that you can have time to fellowship with the Lord. That takes selflessness, but it also takes courage. Pursuing your wife's holiness takes courage because sometimes, just like you, your wife may not be wanting in the moment what is best for her walk with the Lord. Pursuing your wife's holiness may require you, as the leader of the home, to say no to certain things. This is probably gonna be very unpopular, but I have heard it said that this one phrase is the key to a happy marriage. And that phrase is, yes, dear. But I want to ask you something. Was Adam and Eve's marriage happy after Adam stood by, saying nothing and watching his wife eat the forbidden fruit? And then when she offered it to him, He said some version of yes, dear. What if Adam had loved God and loved his wife enough to say no in the Garden of Eden? Now you can take this too far. You should desire your wife's happiness. You should say yes as often as you can to your wife in pursuit of her happiness. But you and I must always remember that what will bring our wives the most happiness is holiness, is a close walk with Jesus Christ. And your pursuit of that for her will require you to have the courage to say no at times. Happiness without holiness is the road to eternal despair, and no husband should ever want that for his wife. Before moving on, one thing to note here is that there are no conditions that your wife has to meet in order for you to love her. Just as the wife is to submit to her husband regardless of what kind of husband he may be, so the husband is to love his wife regardless of what kind of wife she may be. And this is implied in what Jesus has said about, or what Paul has said about Jesus' relationship to the church. What kind of bride was the church? when Jesus laid down his life for her. Was she not sinful and bitter and selfish and rebellious and hard to live with? Yet Jesus loved her and he gave up his life for her and no less is required of us as husbands. Just as your wife needs to submit to you when you're difficult to live with, so you need to love your wife even when she's difficult to live with. Because again, for whose sake are we doing this for? Christ. Verse 21, subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. The only condition that needs to be met is this. Is Christ worthy for me to love my wife right now? Is he ever not worthy of that? No, he is always worthy of that. Let me note just one more thing before moving on. In verses 25 to 27, what is it that makes the church beautiful? What is it that transforms the church? It is the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Husbands, if your wife is lacking the beauty of personal holiness, if you sense at times that she's proud or selfish or bitter, or hard, just like you can get sometimes. Before you rebuke your wife for that, you need to take a look in the mirror. You need to examine yourself and see if you are truly loving your wife and laying down your life for her daily in pursuit of her holiness. Maybe she's bitter or hard or selfish because you have not given her any time to cultivate her walk with Christ. You have not given her any time to pray to the Lord or to read the Bible or to fellowship with other believers. You may find that a major contributing factor to why your wife is not progressing in personal holiness is because you are not loving her sacrificially. It is your responsibility to lead your wife toward personal holiness, Now you may say, I'm not a leader. Listen, the moment you got married, you signed up to be a leader. And whether you realize it or not, you are leading. You may be leading poorly, but you are leading. You may be leading your wife into sin, but you are leading. And it is your responsibility to pursue her holiness. And if you find that about yourself, and you repent, and you With the Lord's help, begin to consistently deny yourself for the good of your wife. You will find that God can use that to transform your wife and to make her beautiful with an inner beauty that will only grow from year to year. This leads us into verses 28 to 32. Paul says, So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Husbands, before you got married, you only had to worry about yourself. You were putting food on the table for yourself. You only had to carve out enough time in the day to read your Bible and pray for yourself. But when you got married, those necessary self-oriented obligations extended to a second person. That person, your wife, was added and incorporated into your life in such a profound way that those natural and necessary duties that you needed to do to take care of yourself expanded to include a second person, your wife. And this is something that Paul acknowledges over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Notice what he says about the reality of married life. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32. He's he's trying to counsel believers in Corinth who are going through a very uh, trying time about the question of whether or not they should get married. And here's a reality that he acknowledges and informs them of about married life. He says, "...but I want you to be free from concern. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world." how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy, both in body and spirit. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now that you're married, if you're married, when you think about yourself now, you have to also think about your wife, because she's one with you. What is necessary for her has become also necessary for you because she is a part of you now. She is one with you now. To deprive your wife of what she needs is to deprive yourself because she's one with you. For you to not provide food on the table for her is to not provide food on the table for yourself. For you to not provide time for her to read the word of God and to pray and to fellowship with other believers is to not provide time for yourself to read and pray and fellowship with other believers. It's to hurt yourself because your wife is one with you. Each one of us naturally nourishes and cherishes himself. But now that you're married, you need to understand that this nourishing and cherishing needs to just as naturally be extended to your wife. And this is implied in Genesis 2.24, which is what Paul quotes for us in verse 31. He says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. You are one flesh with your wife, and you are to treat this one who is a part of you just as Jesus treats the one who is a part of him, that is, his church. Think about how Christ takes care of his church. Has he not provided the word of God to us? Has he not made himself constantly available to us whenever we come to him in prayer? Has he not provided fellowship in the church for us? to encourage us and protect us and shepherd us from sin and toward holiness. Husbands, you need to care for your wife in that same way. Now, as I challenged the husbands to put themselves in the shoes of their wives, so I challenged the wives to put themselves in the shoes of their husbands. Wives, try to understand the challenge of what God is calling your husbands to do. Your husband, as the leader of the home, will have more to answer to God for on the day of judgment than you will. The leader is always more accountable than those who are led. Not only does your husband have to give an account before God of his own walk with the Lord, but because he's responsible to lead both you and your children toward holiness, he must also give an account to God for how well he led his wife and his children. Your husband has to provide not only for himself, but for you and your children. He has to strive not only for his own personal holiness, but for that of you and for that of his children. In placing you and your children in your husband's hands, God has placed much in your husband's hands. And therefore, God will require much from your husband. Jesus teaches us this principle Back in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. And here he's instructing the apostles who had a great stewardship, and he's exhorting them, you need to be faithful to God in taking care of this stewardship. Well, the principles that we see in this passage can be applied to husbands as well, because they too have been given a stewardship. Luke chapter 12, verse 41. <laughs> Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Is that not true of a husband? That God has put you as a husband in charge of his servants, that is your wife and your children? Is it not your responsibility to give them their rations, not only Physically, but spiritually at the proper time. Verse 43, Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, My master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will... Come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. Now listen to this from everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much, of him they will ask all the more. Ladies, God has entrusted much to your husbands in entrusting you and your children to your husbands. And God will require much from your husband. It is hard to lead under that kind of privilege and that kind of pressure. And at times this burden, if I can call it that, will feel overwhelming to your husband at times. And he will need your help. Ladies, I, I encourage you to let your husband lead you toward personal holiness. Don't fight him on that. Don't discourage him from that. It is for your own everlasting joy that he is trying to do that. Hopefully he is trying to do that. What was Commanded to church members regarding their pastors also applies to families with Christian husbands and fathers. Listen to what was commanded the church in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. A Christian husband is the overseer of his own little flock his wife and his children encourage him in his attempts to lead you to a closer walk with christ he's a saint struggling with sin just like you so he'll probably fail miserably at times but when he does don't belittle him but pick him up and say husband keep going there's forgiveness in christ i appreciate your attempts to lead me Keep." doing that, please. Verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. How does a spirit-filled wife obey verse 21 with respect to her husband? Well, she does it by bringing herself under his authority, and by respecting him, by following his lead in order to follow the lead of Jesus who placed her husband over her. How does a spirit-filled husband obey verse 21 with respect to his wife? He does it by loving her, by laying down his life for her in service to her holiness. He loves her as he loves his own body, following the perfect example of Jesus that has been set for us. A wife and a husband can only fulfill these roles. They can only put into practice what is commanded them in this passage if they are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I as husbands and wives can obey what we see in this passage. If you have not yet believed in Jesus and in what he has done to save sinners by dying for their sins and rising from the dead... And if you have not yet repented of your sins and surrendered your life to him as your Lord and Savior, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you and you will not be able to live out what we just read. So believe on the Lord Jesus. And if you do that, you will be saved from your sin. You will be forgiven and saved from the wrath of God. And God will place his Holy Spirit inside of you. And as you yield the Holy Spirit's directions as given in this book, you will be enabled to live that way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and your word calls us to a standard of living that none of us is able to meet in and of ourselves, because, Lord, we are sinful. Without you, we're spiritually dead. We thank you that You have made us spiritually alive if we are trusting in Christ this morning. We thank you that if we are trusting in Christ, you have provided us with the Holy Spirit. And in providing us with the Holy Spirit, you've provided us everything we need to live in obedience in our respective roles in the family to what we've read in this passage. Lord, help us to be faithful in living out these roles as you have outlined for us so that we may bring glory to your name so that you may get what you are worthy of from us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.